Good morning, friends. This week we continue our study in the series Education. And this week in particular, we're looking at worship in education. But before I go into a definition of worship, I want to share a story with you. Many years ago, while attending the Language Training Center, I met and forged what I considered an excellent bond with another member in the program. I knew nothing of him or his background, but one thing was certain, he was struggling in conversational Spanish, which is the course we were doing. I guess this could have been due to the fact that he was at times missing for weeks from class. And so one day he asked me to help and I offered to provide him with a few extra lessons so he could be caught up with the class. And he was so grateful that he offered to pay me. Oh no, Guillermo, I said, it's, it was my pleasure assisting you. Well, on another occasion, he was missing again for weeks. And when he returned to class, he brought me a gift. It was a set of um, three bar soaps, very exquisite. And they were in varying shades of blue. I knew these must have cost a pretty penny. And I was insistent that he didn't have to do that. But my classmate was also insistent that I accept the gift. You see, friends, what I didn't know at the time was that my friend was an ambassador and had spared no cost to show his gratitude for my support. So I took the gift home and placed it on top of my dresser and I basked in the fragrance of the soaps for hours. This was the beginning of my, uh, my obsession with the soaps. I told everyone I met about them and anyone who visited me like Hezekiah, I had to show them the soap. Uh, soon they were so precious, I couldn't have them exposed anymore, so I placed them in my dresser drawer. And at times, even at nights, I would pull it out just to check that the soaps were okay. But a strange thing then happened. Other people started to give me exquisite soaps too, I guess, because having seen and, and heard of my penchant for, for soaps. So within a year, my drawer was, was filled with so much soaps from varying countries in the world. I guess I could easily have made the Guinness Book of Records or, or maybe Ripley's Believe It or Not. I had so many soaps. The problem was that the soaps had become my object of worship. They had become my idols. And then one day, about, mm, was about four, four and a half years later, to my horror, I opened the drawer and found that an intruder had nibbled away at my beautiful collection of gods. And so began my frantic attempt to bathe with them, you know. Of course, by this time, the fragrance were all gone. And so I depleted my stock of soaps by consumption and by distribution. <laughs> See, there are so many things that we worship. But I believe one of the most dangerous are the ones we can group under the heading that I like to call stuff. We can't ever seem to have enough stuff, can we? Walking through the malls and shopping centers, even surfing on the internet, there's always something to buy. Stuff. You know, it certainly isn't a sin to have things, don't get me wrong. We all use all manner of stuff to help us work and, and to play and, and, um, and to enjoy life. But we can really get into trouble when our stuff starts to represent how we value ourselves. While it might not be exotic soaps for some of us, I'm sure we can all consider something that has become the object of our desire and that occupies nearly all our ever-awakening thought. 
that my friends might just be the object of our worship. You see, whatever pulls our attention and tends to take precedence over the place that belongs to the Lord alone, that is our object of worship. But what is worship? So I have two definitions which I really extracted this morning. The first one I'd group under a noun. It says, worship is the feeling or, ex or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. So that's the noun. I don't think I like the word feelings because feelings are so subjective. And then the second one, which is a verb, says worship is um, religious rites or ceremonies constituting a formal expression of reverence for a deity. You know, that's like the act of worship. There's also a third one, and we'll come across that when we look at Sunday's lesson. So we'll delve, delve in that some more. So let's read the memory text together. It says, give to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And that's found in First Chronicles 16 and verse 29. So you read this passage and you think beauty of holiness. It's, it's, almost, um, it's almost paradoxical, you know, to fallen humankind. Holiness is a word that can make us feel uneasy. Beauty of holiness? I don't know. You know, it makes us uneasy. It seems lofty and, and, and threatening and almost unattainable. You see, Satan has tried to paint holiness in a negative light. You know, we instinctively sense that God's holiness, his purity, it highlights our sinful attachments, demanding that we forsake them in order to enjoy full fellowship with him. And so we come to worship, not seeing it as a beautiful experience, but rather thinking, what do I have to give up now to be acceptable in God's presence? Friends, here's the truth. When God was forging a relationship with the Israelites, he told Moses in Leviticus 19 and verse 2, Give the following instructions to the entire community of Israel. You must be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. You see, God was calling his people into a relationship with himself and he wanted his people not just to survive the experience like, oh, finally I'm out of it. God wasn't asking them or he didn't want them to survive that experience of the time they spent together, but he wanted Israel to be nourished by it. Worship should be a beautiful experience. When we think about the creator of heaven and earth wanting to commune with us and to face time with us, it should fill our hearts with joy and, and an eager anticipation of the time we'll spend together. We should see renouncing the things of the world as, as a natural response to the invitation to be in the presence of God. Worship is a beautiful thing. And you know what? The most beautiful part of all is that worship is not limited to a particular day or time. We worship God all the time. We, are, we were created for worship, friends. We were created to worship. Revelation 5 and verse 13 paints the picture. It says, and I heard every 
every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever the entire creation was created to worship the lesson tells us worship is a part of humanity it's a part of the human nature even fallen human nature. Today, of course, the lesson tells us, although the innate need to worship still exists in us, like everything else in this world that has been twisted and distorted by sin, which means that among other things, we can end up worshiping the wrong things or even end up not worshiping the Lord the way that he's supposed to be worshipped. And I like the two texts that were cited in, th in this week's lesson, Mark 7, verse 1 to 13. But I want to focus on Jeremiah 7 and verse 4. So, are you, so you read Jeremiah 7 and verse 4, and it says, Do not trust in these deceptive words. And so immediately, friends, my mind, you know, my, my attention is pricked up because the, the, the scripture is saying, don't trust in these deceptive words. So I wanted to know what, what are these deceptive words? Then I read it. It says, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Okay. Sounds a bit ritual, uh, like a ritual, doesn't it? Almost like a, a repetitious chant. You see, the people of Jerusalem found great confidence in the temple building. But God was warning them that they were trusting in a false hope, mistakenly believing that the temple itself could save them. And there are many persons for whom worship is also a repetitious chant. I can recite the morning watch text. I can recite the Sabbath school text. I can quote the 28 fundamental doctrines of the remnant church. I am a third or fourth generation Adventist. You see, my father worshipped in this church and his father before him. And so do I. And so will my children after me. But we never get beyond an intellectual head knowledge of worship and God to a heart connection with him. You see, friends, as the lesson points out, because worship is so central to the Christian experience, Christian education must deal with the question of worship. And that is the subject of this week's lesson. I hope you will join me as we look at Sunday's lesson. We all worship something. God bless you.